Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Uh, if you have your Bibles, will you turn with me today to Mark chapter 12? Mark chapter 12. Uh, if you've kind of been with us, journeying with us for a while, maybe you're, you're new here today at Restoration. Um, we've been in, the, in a series in the Gospel of Mark for quite some time now. Uh, we've taken a couple of pauses here and there to address some things that, that I felt like God was really pressing me to address. And so we took a little break, about a four-week break from the Gospel of Mark to address a series on anxiety. I encourage you, if you missed this, the anxiety series, to go on YouTube and watch the, that sermon series. But we're going to jump back into Mark today. And Mark's going to carry us all the way through summer. So we'll be in Mark all the way through summer. And at that point, I think it would have been like two years that, uh, that it took us to finish the Gospel of Mark. And so what I want to do today, uh, again, Mark chapter 12, we're going to be looking at verses 35 through 37. And I want to talk to you today on the topic uh, or the title, Accurate But Inadequate. Accurate but inadequate. That is the title for today. Now, before we jump into the text, let me give you some context. It's been a while since we've been in Mark, so let me kind of refresh your memory just a bit. Uh, starting in chapter 11, uh, we, we, in chapter 11, we begin the last week of Jesus's life. In chapter 11, we saw uh, Jesus come into Jerusalem, right? The triumphal entry happened on Sunday. Uh, so Jesus goes into the temple, he checks out the temple, and he goes back out. He doesn't really do anything on Sunday. Uh, then he goes back on Monday, and on his way to the temple, he curses the fig tree, the fig tree representing uh, the religious leadership of Israel that completely failed. Uh, once he curses the fig tree on the way to the temple, if you remember on Monday, he goes in the temple, and then he cleanses the temple that's on Monday. So he goes back to Bethany, uh, about a couple of miles out of Jerusalem, and then he comes back on Tuesday to the temple. And on Tuesday, uh, he has a lot of conflict with the religious leaders of the day. I mean, Tuesday was just filled with a bunch of conflict with the religious leaders. They questioned Jesus's authority. Uh, the religious leaders did. They tried to trap him by asking him all kinds of questions. They asked him a political question. Hey, do we pay taxes to Caesar or not. Uh, they asked him a theological question about marriage. Uh, is there going to be marriage uh, in heaven? You know, when we die, is there going to be marriage in heaven? They try to trip him up with a biblical question, like what's the greatest commandment of all? So he's been having a lot of conflict on Tuesday with the religious establishment. And so today we're going to pick back up, and it's still Tuesday. It's still Tuesday. Jesus is still having a lot of conflict with the religious leaders. I just wanted to give you that just kind of context and overview as we jump into the passage. But let's go ahead and read the passage for today. It says this. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Let's pray. God, we love you. 
We thank you as we were singing, Jesus, you alone. It's so true. Jesus, you alone are worthy of our adoration. Jesus, you alone are worthy of our worship. Jesus, you alone are worthy of our allegiance and of our devotion. You're holy. You're the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who is to come. And for the next few moments, Jesus, we pray that we would devote our entire mind and our entire heart to your word. We thank you for the scriptures where God breathed profitable for our lives. Pray that you would speak to your people through the power of your spirit. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, um, before becoming a lead pastor, I was a youth pastor. Uh, I asked God for patience, and he told me to become a youth pastor. So uh, there you go. And uh, so I was a youth pastor for about uh, eight years, and uh, I loved it. I still consider myself a youth pastor. Like, I really, really do. Like, I I will always be a youth pastor at heart. Like, always. I just love, uh, love, love being around students. Um, I can't hang with them anymore. I I just can't. If I go to summer camp, like, I, I, when I first started youth ministry, I'd stay up all night, and if I go to summer camp now, I'd probably be asleep by like 9.30. I mean, they're just, it's just crazy. Uh, but one thing I loved about being in student ministry is uh, we, we got to play a lot of games with students, a lot of riddles, a lot of brain buster type games. Uh, we had a lot of time to kill uh, at our student ministry camps or on the way to a trip or whatever, and so we would just play all of these, all these games, right, all these riddles, riddle type games, and Partly, I had to entertain them, otherwise they would destroy stuff, and so that's kind of what would happen. But um, uh, we, we do all kinds of brain busters and riddles. Those were kind of my favorite things, and so uh, in honor of uh, my youth pastor days, I'm going to take it back just a bit, and I got a couple of riddles for you. I actually got one riddle for you, maybe two, so I hope you, you brought your thinking cap on today to kind of guess this, to see how sharp you are. Those of you that had coffee, I hope you can get this, but here's the riddle. What goes up and never comes down? What goes up and never comes down? Your age. Come on. Come on. Your age. Okay? Your age. There we go. Your age. Some of you guys are still waking up. You're still waking up, so it's okay. It's okay. I'm going to give you a second one. I'll give you a second one, all right? Here's a second one. What question can you never answer yes to? What question can you never answer yes to? Are you asleep yet? Are you asleep yet? You can't, can't answer that question. You can't answer that question. Thank you very much, guys. I'll be here all day. All right. Here's the thing. Today, we're going to see Jesus present a riddle to the religious leaders. He's going to present a riddle. He's going to present a question to the religious leaders of the day, and it's going to rock their world, and it's going to shock them. And I believe that the answer to this riddle, to this question that Jesus is about to ask the religious leaders of the day, has great implication for our lives as believers. It has great implication for maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. It has great implications. The answer for today from this riddle has great implications. And what I want to do today is I just want to Take the time to dissect each and every verse, and by the end of the verse, I want to apply it to our lives. But again, I hope and pray that God would speak to you uh, 
through this riddle here, through this question that Jesus is about to stump the religious leaders of the day. And I want you to notice four things in the text. The first thing I want you to notice is this. I want you to notice the setup. I want you to notice the setup here in verse 35. Let's read verse 35 together. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? So Jesus is about to set up the scribes. Jesus is about to set up these religious leaders uh, for the riddle. And so right now, Jesus is in the temple. The crowds are around him. His disciples are around him as well. And um, among the crowd, among his disciples are also the religious leaders of the day. The scribes are there as well. And he's teaching, and he's teaching them. Now, here's the thing. Jesus has been on the defensive all of Tuesday. He's been on the defensive. He's been fielding questions, right, from the religious leaders that are asking him, should we pay the taxes? Uh, will it be uh, marriage in heaven? And whose wife will she be? And all kinds of stuff like that. What's the greatest commandment? They've been trying to trip him up. And so he's kind of been on the defensive. But right now, Jesus is going on the offensive. It's his turn and his time to ask some questions. And so he asked the question, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Again, he's, gonna, he's about to set them up. Now, the scribes were the religious leaders of the day. They were the religious experts, the lawyers of the law of that day. And so the religious leaders, the scribes, believed that the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the expected one, was going to be somebody from the physical line of David. He was going to be physical descendant of David, of King David. Now, the religious leaders expected this man coming from the line of David, the physical line of David. They expected him to be someone with great military power. They expected him to be someone with great political power, that, that he would come in as the Messiah, the, the Savior of, of Israel, and establish his kingdom and, and basically overthrow Rome and kick Rome out and establish the kingdom of God. That's what they believed. Now, it's important to understand, very important to understand to this text, that the religious leaders of the day believed that the Messiah was only a man, that he was just simply a man and nothing else. Now, where did they get this from? Let me give you two verses in the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, with David, uh, the Lord's covenant with David, he says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. So the Jewish people, the, Israel, the Israelites, were, were expecting this man, this Messiah, to come with great political and military power, overthrow Rome, and establish the kingdom of God. Now, essentially what Jesus is asking is, okay, in what sense or on what basis then is Christ, this Messiah, this man, the son of David, a descendant of David, a human, uh, a human descendant? Uh, in what sense is he kind of coming from David's family tree? That's what the word how means in the original language. When Jesus says, how can the scribes say 
It means in what sense or on what basis. So Jesus right here with that question is simply setting up the scribes for the punchline. The second thing I want you to see is the statement. Jesus makes the statement to further his argument in verse 36. He says, David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Now, I want to point out a few things in this verse as Jesus makes this statement. Here, Jesus quotes from Psalm 110, verse 1. Jesus quote, he goes back to the Old Testament, and he, and he quotes Scripture. And so by Jesus going back and quoting Scripture, he is affirming the inspiration of Scripture. Now, what is the inspiration of Scripture? The inspiration, the inspiration of Scripture is basically this— that the very words of the Bible are God's words written by human authors. That's what inspiration means. That the words of the scripture, the, 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 the psalm that Jesus quoted was inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by men. Now, here's the thing. Inspiration is not when we see an awesome painting or when we hear this amazing song that really inspires us or some kind of sculpture or piece of art. It's not that type of inspiration. Let me tell you what kind of inspiration it is. 2 Timothy chapter 3.16 says that all scripture is God breathed. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So it's God breathed. It's inspired by God. God spoke it into existence. Another verse that's very helpful in the inspiration of Scripture is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. So God didn't like tell the authors of Scripture what to say exactly. They're not robots. He, it's not, he didn't dictate to you know, every single word. No, these men in their own way, in their own experience, with their own grammar, they wrote the words of Scripture. And through the Holy Spirit, they were carried along to write the very words of God. Now, why is this important? Why is it important then that Jesus affirms the inspiration of Scripture? The reason why Jesus affirms and why it's important that Jesus affirms the inspiration of, of Scripture is because he also, by affirming the inspiration of Scripture, he also affirms the authority of Scripture, that the Scriptures have authority over our lives. Therefore, what David is saying is true, because that's what the Scripture says, right? That David said in the Holy Spirit. They weren't David's words. They were God's words through David. Therefore, they're inspired. They're authoritative. And so Jesus is using the inspiration and authority of Scripture to prove his point. You see, Psalm 110 is actually the most quoted psalm in all of the New Testament. It's quoted no less than 33 times. And so this is an important psalm because it's a messianic psalm pointing to the Christ, pointing to the Messiah that was to come. Now, we know that what David was saying was from God. He was saying it in the Holy Spirit. It's inspired. It's authoritative. It's coming from him. He was carried along through the Spirit. Now, what was he saying? What was David saying? Well, he says first, the Lord said to my Lord. Let's stop there. What does that mean? 
What is, he, what is he talking about? The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make, put your enemies under your feet. What does he mean by the Lord said to my Lord? So here's the thing. The first Lord here, if we look at, if we look at this passage in the, Old, in the Old Testament, it's the name for, for God, God's special and unique name. The first Lord, it's, it's Yahweh. It's God's covenant name. It's God's special name. It's God's uh, uh, unique name. That's the first Lord there that we see. If you ever read in your Old Testament and you notice that the word Lord is in all caps, have you ever noticed that? Like, why does that happen? Well, when it's, in, when, when it's in all caps, it's in reference to Yahweh. It's in reference to God's unique special covenant name as compared to the small Lord, right? Lowercase Lord. And that's the second Lord that we have here. So the first Lord, the Lord, is Yahweh, said to my Lord. That's the Hebrew word Adonai. And it's a title that is applied to God. It's a title that's applied specifically to God to speak of his power, to speak of his ownership, to speak of his, uh, the way he gov- governs all of creation. And so this second Lord is the Messiah. First Lord all caps, Lord, is Yahweh, said to David's Lord, right, Adonai, the Messiah. That's what's going on here. Now, notice this. This is very important for the text. David says, my Lord. He says, my Lord. The Lord, Yahweh, said to my Lord, Adonai, Messiah, right, the anointed one. He says, my Lord. So he is not only in David's lineage, he is David's Lord, right? He is not only David's son, but he's David's sovereign. Is that making sense? The Jewish people said, hey, the Messiah is, is, is only a descendant of David. But here, David calls him my Lord. Again, that's a title used for God. That's a title used for God. And what does he say? Sit at my right hand. So the Lord Yahweh tells David's Lord, the Messiah, to sit at his right hand until he subjugates his enemies. To sit at the right hand of someone is the highest place of honor. It's a place of authority and it's a place of power. And so this position is not for just an ordinary man. It's for a special man. And so Jesus sets up the riddle, the question, he makes a statement using the authority and inspiration of Scripture. And then lastly, number three, the surprise. He gives him the big question. He gives him the big riddle. He says, David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. So he asks him, so, so how is he his son? Here's what Jesus is trying to say to the religious leaders. How can the Messiah be both David's son and David's Lord? How can the Messiah be both David's descendant, simply a human being, but yet David, in the Holy Spirit, calls him my Lord, Right? In that culture, if you were a son, you wouldn't have any authority or ownership over anyone older than you, and especially over your father. 
or over any man. And so Jesus said, how can that be? How is he, this Messiah that you believe in is just a human being, both a descendant of David and Lord? He gives him the riddle. How can he be both at the same time? How can he be his son and his sovereign? How can that be? And so the answer is that the Messiah is both David's son and David's Lord. The Messiah was a descendant of David. Yes, in, in, in a human way, in an earthly way, yes, Jesus is human, but he's also David's Lord. Again, that title Lord was used to, uh, to, to describe God. It's a title of divinity. It's a divine title. So he's both. The Messiah was both human and divine. And so the religious leaders, they had an accurate view of Jesus. Yes, it was true that the Messiah who was to come was a human being, was a descendant of David. That was accurate, but it was inadequate because he is much more than a man. The Messiah was much more than a savior. The the Messiah was much more than this expected political, military king to come. You see, the Messiah was God himself, wrapped in flesh. The Messiah is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so their view of Jesus was, yes, accurate for the most part, but it was inadequate that it wasn't full. They didn't see the Messiah as both God and man. And that's what Jesus is, 100% God and 100% man. And he is the King of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And sadly, church, till this very day, there are many Jews who are still waiting for the Messiah. There are many Jews who are still waiting the Messiah to come, a human descendant of David. So Jesus is more than a man. He's Messiah. He's Savior. He's the Lord of all. Now, what does it mean that Jesus is Lord of all? It means that he's God. He's 100% God. It means that all authority on heaven and in earth is given to him. It means that he is owed all obedience and all of allegiance. It means that all of heaven and earth must submit to him as Lord. He owns everything. He owns all of creation. And he has the right to tell each and every single one of us what to do. He is the Lord. The Lord of all. A lot of times we have this perspective of Lord right? We, and a lot of times it's very negative perspective. When we think of this t- title Lord or the term Lord, we think of someone who's abusive and abuses their power. But Jesus is a different type of Lord. He's a self-sacrificing Lord. He's a kind Lord. He's a forgiving Lord. He's a gracious Lord. He's a merciful Lord. He's a trustworthy Lord. He's a loving Lord, but he's still Lord. He's still in control of all things. He still owns all things. That doesn't change. So what does this mean for us? That's what the passage means. Jesus, 
Notice what, the, notice what the, the religious leaders of the day didn't say. They didn't say anything. They remained silent, right? Like, man, this riddle's tough, you know? We haven't thought about this one. But that's what the passage means. That Jesus is more than a man. He's Lord. What does it mean to us? What does it mean to you? Let's apply this to our lives now. You see, being in ministry for a while now, one thing that I've learned to realize is that many believers, just like the religious leaders of the day, have an accurate view of Jesus, but an inadequate one, though. A lot of believers love Jesus as Messiah. A lot of believers love Jesus as Savior. A lot of believers love Jesus as the one who came to the world to save us from our sins. That's accurate. But many, many believers do not want to submit to Jesus as Lord. Inadequate. Most Christians believe that Jesus is their Savior, but live like he is not their Lord. You can't, you can't, have one without the other. He's your Savior and Lord. Both. Savior and Lord. Trying to make Jesus your Savior but not your Lord is like trying to marry a person, have a wedding, make a covenant, and yet still try to live the single life. That ain't gonna work. Could you imagine? I love you. Yes, I do forever. But is it cool if I still live the single life? Like, is it cool if I do whatever I want? Is it cool if I give my allegiance to other people? Is it cool if I give my devotion to other people? That's the same way we treat Jesus' lordship. So the big question for you today The question that I've been asking myself this entire week is this. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Is he the Lord of your life? Are you obedient to him? Because he's worthy of our obedience, isn't he? Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? That's what he says. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't even obey me? If I, if, you, if, if I was really your Lord, you would obey me. And we would know, right? Or if we love Jesus, we will obey his commandments. So are you obedient to him? Is he the Lord of your life? Does he have full control and authority over your life? On your decisions, on your actions, on your thinking, does he have full authority and control over you? God, what do you want from my life? Do you wake up every single morning saying, God, it's not what I want, but what you want. What do you want from my life? You're in control. You tell me what to do. You own me. Church, if you are a believer, your life is not your own. It was bought with a price. And your life does not belong to you at all. Do you humbly and willingly submit to his authority in your life? Are you your own authority? Are you? Are you your own authority? And what happens 
And I've been there. When we, when we become our own authority, we make a mess, don't we? When we try to take control of the wheel, man, it doesn't end up anywhere good. We, we end up nowhere good. Do you humbly and willingly submit to his authority? Are you okay with him telling you what to do? Are you okay with him telling you how to live your life? If Jesus says something, are you okay with that? Do you exist to serve him and serve him only as the Lord of your life? Do you worship him and adore him as both Lord and Savior? Is there something in your heart that says, you are my Savior? Yes, you paid the price for my sin. You came to save me. You paid the ransom. But I worship you as Lord as well. Because you're in control of all things. You're all powerful. Uh, God, I I submit under your lordship. And it creates devotion and worship in your life. Is he the Lord of your life? Now, why does this question matter so much? Why does this question matter so much? One word. One word. Eternity. That's why. Who you say Jesus is determines your destiny. It determines your eternity. You can't have Jesus just as Savior and not your Lord. Let let me read you some scriptures here. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord. Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If he is Lord, Acts chapter 16, verse 30 through 31, then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Lord, eternity matters. His lordship matters. Salvation is found when Jesus becomes both our Savior and our Sovereign. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? If he's not, well, actually two things. First, believers, Christians, if Jesus is not the Lord of your life, and you don't submit under his lordship, and there's no evidence that he is the Lord of your life, I think it's time to examine your life. We sit in church many times and say that we're believers, but there's no evidence, right? There's no evidence that you truly submit under his lordship. I never, ever make an assumption that every single person in here is a believer. Examine your life, believer. Examine to see if he is your savior and your Lord. And I hope and I pray that God, through the power of his spirit, would give you assurance of that. That you are in him 
that you are his child. May he give you assurance. And if not, I pray that you would ask him to reveal to you that he is Lord. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you don't show evidence of submitting under his lordship, I will ask you today and I plead with you to ask him to reveal that he is Lord to you. Matthew chapter 16, 13 through 17 says this. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one, no one, can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means that God, in his sovereign grace, will draw you to him. Salvation from beginning to end is all of God. And I pray and I ask that you Ask God to reveal that to you. To make it clear that Jesus is Lord. To remove the blindfold of your heart so that you can see Jesus as both Savior and Lord. Only God can save. Ask that God would give you the Holy Spirit so that you can respond in repentance and faith. And I tell you this, the day we do that, it changes everything. Jesus changes everything. Ask God in his sovereign grace to draw you to him. draw you to him today. Believer, make him Lord of your life, not just Savior. Let's pray. Jesus, you alone are Lord. Jesus, you alone are the Lord of Lords. You own us you purchased us. You bought us with your precious blood on the cross. And I pray that you would forgive us if we've ever had an accurate view of you yet still inadequate. I pray that we can celebrate 
you as our Savior and submit under you as Lord. You tell us what to do. It's your mission. It's your agenda. It's your kingdom. You are in control and we're not. You have authority and we're powerless. And it is by grace and grace alone that we stand here today. You're a Lord that is not abusive, hurtful, but a Lord that is loving and caring, gracious and merciful, trustworthy, comforting, the one who gives us strength, the one who gives us hope. You are Lord and Jesus, there's no one like you. God, I pray if there's anyone here today or watching online, pray you would draw them in through your sovereign grace, through your irresistible grace, through the power of your Holy Spirit. We love you. We thank you. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.